what we see happening in this morning's readings from the Word of God is something which affects all of us, which is people that we hear about aren't all that they're cracked up to be as we are expecting them to be in our own mind when we finally meet them. The prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel, remember, we have to understand when Ezekiel is prophesying, and uh, just a little bit of the background information about this, is that as we are aware, God entered a covenant with Israel, and Israel violated that covenant over and over again. And so in this time of period, we see Israel aligning it herself with political parties, political nations, that they think are going to protect them from the greater uh, enemy. And we see over and over, I mean, they were taken over by the Assyrians and put into captivity, and they didn't learn their lesson. They kept doing the same thing over and over again. And so now, Israel is in the Babylonian captivity. They decided they did not trust the prophets and the word of God who was spoken to them to trust in God and not man. And so they aligned themselves with the uh, more powerful nation. And as Babylon took them over, the Israelites got taken over with them. And so into captivity they go. And so now this is what Ezekiel is prophesizing. He is prophesizing during the Babylonian captivity. Israel is not in its native place. Israel is, and so here, Israel, here Ezekiel says that the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. So what does that expression mean in the scriptures? Basically it means depression. They were depressed. They were not in their homeland. They violated the covenant. They recognized their failures. And yet in the midst of this, God sets him on his feet. He pulls him out of the drudgery of the situation, reminding Ezekiel of the covenant he has established with Israel, and then calls Israel, calls Ezekiel to proclaim to Israel the good news of salvation, that God is with them, that the covenant still exists. Even through their hardness of heart, God will not abandon them. So here you have Ezekiel, and then you have Israel who's also in this captivity, who's in this depression. And here comes Ezekiel, happy, happy, joy, joy, that God has revealed. They don't want to hear him. They don't want to hear happy, happy, joy, joy. <laughs> Remember, they're in captivity for 400 years. They are locked in Babylon. It isn't until Babylon is taken over by the Persians that the Persian king says, get rid of them. Send them back. Probably they were whining them too, like they did to God in Sinai. And so therefore the Persian king let them go. And so we see Ezekiel was not what they was that cracked up to be. Because Ezekiel wasn't saying, God is coming to, live, to free you from Babylon immediately. God's message to Ezekiel is, I have not abandoned you and I am with you. Even in your misery, I am with you. And that is not the message that Israel wanted to hear. And so they, they looked at Ezekiel as a kook, a nut, a crazy man. And we see this similar thing happening this morning in the Gospel, where Jesus returns to his native place, 
and his, his neighbors and friends in that area of the family were so focused on where he's come from, what they know of him, that they were unwilling to hear the word he had to say. And the word he had to say to them caused offense to them. Because when we come against the truth of God and our own lives, we must make a choice. We must choose to accept it or reject it. And that is where we see, and very often if we reject it, we reject it because we do not like what it says, what the truth of the gospel says, according to my very way of life. And so therefore, we are offended by it. And those of us who proclaim and witness the good news of salvation should not be surprised at the offense that the world takes on the word of God when we proclaim it. That is the reality in which we live in, my brothers and sisters. That people do, just like in the time of Jesus, they didn't want to hear him, and they don't want to hear us. So it always amazes me that we as Christian believers are always surprised that they don't like us. That we're ready to take our choice and go home. They're not being fair, they need to us. But we're supposed to expect that. Remember we heard the Beatitudes not long ago? Blessed are those who persecute, blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. That's you and me when we witness and proclaim the good news, but we allow fear to prevent us from acting. Fear which has no place in the life of a disciple of the Lord. Did you hear that? Fear has no place in the discipleship of the Lord. Hurricanes coming according to the weathermen, aren't they just in a little frenzy now? A hurricane is finally coming. They have something to do. Okay, after we have this hurricane coming, like all over the media, then when you listen more closely to the weather reports, it's not even a hurricane yet still. It's a hurricane, it's not, it's a hurricane, it's not. They don't have a clue. And yet when you listen to people out there, oh my gosh, the world is coming to an end. It's oh my gosh, the hurricane's coming. What is there to fear of a hurricane? There's nothing to fear because the worst thing that can happen to us is death, which is whip-de-doo. Because that God has come to save us. So the only thing, the worst thing that we are to fear from the human condition of the world is we're going to die. That's, what the, that's the big fear of the world. That is the big fear that has, that has captured us during this whole entire pandemic, which now we have another variant and have another one in a hullabaloo again. Did you, see, did you hear and did you proclaim the solemn response this morning, my brothers and sisters? Our eyes are fixed on the Lord. Are they? Are your eyes fixed on the Lord? Based on some of our discussions with people who say they're believers, I don't think they're fixed on the Lord. I don't think they're fixed on the Lord. They're fixed on what if, what's going to happen, what tragedy is going to befall us. Who cares? We are fixed on the Lord, and the Lord has saved us. 
And what is there to fear about? There's nothing to fear. And yet we find ourselves fearing. We find ourselves not trusting the power of God. We fall into the same place Israel fell into. By denying the power of God at work. God can't protect me. We have less people in our army. God will not, but Israel is going to be taken over. We need a protection from stronger things, stronger people, stronger army. God's ways are not our ways, and nothing is impossible for God. And so St. Paul reminds us this morning that in my weakness, I am made strong. In my weakness, I am made strong because when I am weak and I humble myself before the Lord, I recognize I can't do it without Him. I can only do it with Him. And so therefore, I am more open to allow the Lord to work through me. But when I think I have it all under control, when I think that I am strong, I don't need God. I don't need Him. I might say, good morning, how are you? Good to see you. Glad you're listening. But we don't really need Him. We don't have our eyes fixed on Him. We glance at Him occasionally. The psalmist speaks to us written at the time of the captivity also. So in the time of captivity, their eyes are fixed on the Lord. Those, the remnant that remained faithful, the remnant that tried to get Israel on track. My favorite prophet, Jeremiah. Jeremiah warned and warned and warned Israel what would happen if they violated the covenant. And it happened. And sadly, Jeremiah did not escape the captivity. He was taken into captivity with the rest of them. But we'll say, but that's not fair, Father. He was doing what God wanted him to do. Well, there's a little secret that we learn in the book of Genesis. Do you remember the book of Genesis, the story of Cain and Abel? Do you remember the word of God? When, when Cain asked, when God is asking Abel, where's your brother? And what does he ask Cain, where's your brother? What does the brother, what does Cain say? Am I my brother's keeper? To which the Lord God says, yes, you are. So we are responsible for each other, my brothers and sisters. And so therefore, we are responsible to preach the truth in love so that all people may come to the knowledge of the truth so that you and I will not suffer the effects of those who don't believe. That's where the challenge is in our modern world. That is one of the difficulties of living in our modern era in which it's me, myself, and I. It's all about me. I, what I do doesn't hurt you, so why are you bothered by it? How often do we hear that? It's my life, and as Frank Sinatra immortalized, I do it my way. You do it your way, I'm doing it my way, leave me alone. See, that's the mentality of the world. That's the political correctness to which we live in these days. That is exacerbated in our modern society and culture. You do it your way and not God's way, I'm going to suffer. You're going to suffer. Not just, when you sin, you don't just suffer, you don't just personally sin, so suffer. 
You suffer by bringing others into it. You suffer by bringing others into that reality who are very often innocent. We look at, we look at children who are born addicted to drugs, or children who are born with, with AIDS or another, another aspect of disease that could be, could be prevented. What did that innocent child do? Nothing. But they're affected by the decisions that were made. So did our actions, as I told you, as I preached the first weekend I was here, six plus years ago, if anyone remembers, this is where I should give the test, if anyone remembers, actions have consequences. Good actions, good consequences. Bad actions, bad consequences. That is why you and I, when we profess the, uh, the act of contrition, we pray to avoid the near occasion to sin. We don't just pray to avoid sin, we pray to avoid the near occasion to sin, so that we might, slip, we might not slip and fall into a sinful disposition that is going to affect those around me. Even those who are, even those who are innocent and know to have no, nothing, no, 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 why do, why, why do, why, that, that's a big question. Why do bad things happen to good people? Bad things happen to good people because some people made bad choices. And that has an effect on all of us. And this is what Ezekiel is trying to communicate as he preaches to Israel. This is what we see Jesus trying to communicate to, the, to his own people, his own native people, his neighborhood, and they're unwilling to accept it because they had a preconceived notion of who the Messiah should be. Israel had a preconceived desire of how God was going to save them from the Babylonians. St. Paul, we understand from reading other sources outside of Scripture, St. Paul really wasn't the be-all and end-all when you think of how great he was in his letter writing. I mean, you would think that he would be this great orator, this tall, huge person. Well, from what we know, he was short, balding, and didn't even preach well. And yet, look at what he accomplished. In his weakness, he was made strong. And so people here, say, they hear, Paul's coming, the great preacher of, of the faith, he's coming. And then they show up and they say, that's him? I came out for that thing? What am I coming out for this for? What a waste of time. How often do we preconceive judge people and make preconceived notions of what people should be like? And then when we discover what they're really like, we're surprised. But why are we surprised? We don't even know the people very often, but we create in our minds these false personas. We do that often with those who are famous. We do that often with those who are famous. I remember when I, I met um, Hernandez. What was his first name? I blocked it out. Keith, yes, Keith Hernandez. I thought he was the greatest baseball player ever, and he was, I was a Mets fan, and can I tell you, when I met him, he was an absolute jerk. <laughs> he was, he ruined my whole entire teen years, because I had made him into something he was not by the way he played ball. 
I, and I made him into something in his personality that mirrored his ability to play. And that did not go together. It was a very powerful lesson that I learned. Thanks be to God, I learned it young. But it taught me a powerful lesson that I, you should not create with yourself. Because technically, it wasn't his fault. I mean, in the sense, yeah, it was his fault that he was a jerk. But I mean, he was a jerk by his nature. That's him. It's my fault because I created him into something he wasn't supposed he wasn't ever to be. I did it in my own mind. And this is what we see happening within that scripture. Ezekiel is a prophet of God, and they're thinking he's a nut job. St. Paul isn't what they expect him to be. And you see St. Jesus, and even, even gets, they take offense at him. He is not the Messiah they expected or they wanted. So my brothers and sisters, in all of this, in all of these readings, the common theme is to keep our eyes fixed on the Lord. Even with Israel's uh, failure to follow the covenant, God does not abandon them. Through the prophet Ezekiel, he promises and assures them he is not leaving them orphaned. He is planning a, a place for them. In good times and in bad times, God is with us. In good times and in bad times, God is with us. He does not abandon us like we very often abandon him, like Israel abandoned him, like Israel abandoned him even as he came as the Messiah to save them. So my brothers and sisters, the word of God this morning is a powerful word to remind us of the providence of God in our life, that no matter if things are going good or bad, no matter what happens with this coming Elsa, no matter what happens in our everyday life, within the joys or the tragedies which occur to us, the important thing for us as people of faith is to identify and to recognize God is with us. And so much does he want us to know that, that he remains with us in the Holy Eucharist, in every Catholic church throughout the world, so that we may be certain that he cares for us, that he desires us to be with him forever, and that he wants for us what is best. But to receive that, we have to cooperate with his grace. Because as he tells St. Paul, even in temptation, even in weakness, my grace is sufficient for you. So let us pray through this Mass that our eyes will be fixed on the Lord always and will trust in His grace that is always sufficient for us. Praise be Jesus Christ, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.